Thanks, Greg. Y'all, this is Greg. This is my man right here. He, uh, he's one of those behind-the-scenes guys that just makes everything happen. And we appreciate you, Greg. We really do. And everybody on that platform, amazing, huh? You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, the writer Solomon encourages all the young people. He says, remember the Creator in the days of your youth. And what you see before you with all these students and the thousands and thousands of them on campus is that very thing happening. They are acknowledging and serving and falling deeper and deeper in love with their creator, the one who gave them life to begin with, the one who puts breath in their bones as we sang about earlier. And I think it's amazing because they could be pursuing anything else, other dreams, other opportunities, and any other university, and and really following after the way of the world. And instead, they're remembering the Creator in the days of their youth. And here's the good news about that. When you do that, it will save you a whole lot of heartache later on in your life. I think another reason Solomon says that is because if you'll do that in your youth days, that's when you have the energy to serve Him so appropriately and so well. You know, you don't have to uh, buy large print Bibles like I do anymore. You know, you you can do things like that where you still have energy to serve the Lord. And so the younger you begin serving him, the more advantage it is to your life. We're going to talk today about a man whose entire existence is fascinating to watch. The man's name, of course, is King Solomon, because we're in the middle of a small little sermon series in the midst of our reading the entire Bible in six months. We're in this little sermon series that we're calling Wise Words, and we're featuring the, the wisdom books of Solomon. Song of Solomon, Pastor Jonathan touched on that last week, uh, an amazing love story between a young Solomon, a Shulamite woman who would become his wife, and, uh, and it's also a a beautiful picture of, of the gospel, of Christ's love for his church. And so a wonderful job last week by Pastor Jonathan just sort of giving us a bird's eye view of the meaning of that book. And that's pretty much what we're having to do with all of these books, obviously, because we're, we're flying through scripture. And as always, I've said this every time I've gotten up here to teach, remember, the goal here is not just to get through scripture but to get scripture through you. That's the big goal, all right? So if you're a little behind, that's okay. Just jump in and catch up. But if you're going along with our readings, then you'll know that this week we covered two really, really, really important books, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Now, I'm not gonna say a whole lot about Proverbs except just to tell you this. Every verse in Proverbs is life-changing. It is chock full of wisdom. Follow it, read it. In fact, I would suggest you read one chapter of Proverbs every day of your life. There's 31 days in the month. Some months there's 30. That's okay. Read one chapter a day, and in the months with 30, read two chapters. That's how it works. But I'm telling you, these words, these wise words from King Solomon, as as he's going through his life, it's like he's just got a little tablet, and he's writing down all these little snippets that come to his mind because he's so wise. And so he wrote them down for us, and now 3,000 years later, we still hang on to these words, words of wisdom that teach you how to handle your money or relationship or whatever it might be. So read the book of Proverbs daily in your life. It will change you forever. But today we're going to hit the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, obviously, it's 12 chapters long, tons of stuff in this book. It is one of the greatest books, I believe, in all the Bible, because if you want to witness to your friends from the Old Testament, this is where I would start, because this is the book that uh, really talks about what's the meaning of life? Why are we here? What are we doing? 
And you know, so many people are wondering that. They get to the pinnacle of their existence and look around and wonder, is this all there is? Reminds me of a book I read called Into Thin Air. It's also a movie by John Krakauer. And he was part of an expedition to the top of Mount Everest. And they climbed all the way to the top of the mountain. He gets up there and here's what he said. He said, I'd been training for this for months. I'd been envisioning this experience in my life for months. And I finally get to the top of the mountain and I can't even summon the energy to care. He said, and I looked around and I'm looking over the glory of Tibet and China and all Nepal and all these nations that you can see from the top of the world. And he said, I took four quick photos with my phone, or my, my camera back then, I guess is what he said. He took four quick photos. And then he said, I looked at my watch, and it was 1.17 p.m., and I started down the mountain. He said, and I realized that I'd spent less than five minutes on the roof of the world. And shortly after, just moments after, tragedy struck, and eight members of his team, you can read it and watch the movie, eight members of his team fell on the descent and they were killed. And so he went from the top of the world to utter despair, having losing eight friends just like that. What a picture of so many lives, right? I mean, we look at the lives of celebrities like, like uh, Chris Farley or John Belushi or Michael Jackson or Whitney Houston and, 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 and Robin Williams and the long, long, long list of, of celebrities who've reached what seems to be the, the top of the world. They have everything, everything the world has to offer. They've got it. And yet they're miserable. They're empty. They're, they're looking. They're searching and, and can't seem to find, in the words of you too, what they're looking for. And so there's this emptiness in their soul. And this is the issue that Solomon addresses in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, when you open the book of Ecclesiastes, you have to realize, in my opinion, this is Solomon's magnum opus. This is his masterful swan song, a, a letter of great warning to all the people that will come after him. So I kind of imagine him sitting on the, the porch of his palace in the rocking chair that he probably bought at Cracker Barrel, and he's just sitting there, and, and he's writing in his journal all the things of life that have frustrated him, that have upset him, but also the things that he's learned. And you will discover as you read through this book that there's little popcorn moments where in even in the midst of his frustration and anger, God just sort of appears out of nowhere. He just sort of pops up. And you'll notice this as we go. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into chapter one, and we're not going to spend very much time in any of these worlds. So we're going to look at one, two, and three, and then we're going to jump to chapter 12, all right? But just know in Ecclesiastes, this is a very practical and honest book. It's full of raw emotions, and it's, and it's really easy to identify with Solomon as he shares his frustrations with how his life has turned out, because a lot of our lives turn out the same way. He shows us that it's okay to question the, the mysteries in life, even question God at times. But the conclusion that he reaches is of the utmost importance, not just in his own life as it was nearing its end, but in our lives as well. So as we dive in, the first thing I notice about this book, Ecclesiastes, is how many songs are written from this book. So many songs in secular world and the Christian world, but mainly in the secular world. So many songs have come out of this, and I'm going to mention a few as we go. But before you dive into chapter one, you have to realize that there's two things you really need to know about this book. You need to know the meaning of one word, and you need to know the meaning of one phrase. The word is a Hebrew word called hevel, H-E-V-E-L, all right? You'll find it in verse two, right as he starts from the very beginning of the book, he says these words, vanity of vanities, says the preacher or the teacher or the kohelet or whatever you wanna call him depending on what your translation says. 
I'm reading from the ESV at the moment. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's a very famous statement. You've probably seen that in, in plays from Shakespeare, wherever you've seen it. It's all over the place. Vanity of vanities. But what the word is for vanity is hevel. And what the word really means is smoke or vapor or a breath. That's the true meaning of that word. And so my favorite translation really comes from the message. Smoke. Nothing but smoke, that's what the quester says. There's nothing to anything, it's all smoke. Believe it or not, the first place we see this word in scripture is in Genesis chapter four. It's the name for Abel. There was Cain and there was Abel. Abel is the name, the word Hevel. That's where you find this word first of all. And it means a vapor. But it's important to understand that what Solomon is not saying, he's not saying that everything in life is absolutely, utterly meaningless. What he is saying is everything in life is like an enigma. It's a, it's a bewilderment that we don't always understand, especially if all we know is life under the sun and have no relationship with God. James chapter four, verse 14 puts it this way. Yet you do, know not, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The worship band Kansas in 1970s, they put it this way, all we are is dust in the wind. They weren't a worship band. I was just kidding about that part. <laughs> in case you start looking, looking for, oh, that's like not a Christian song. All right. Our human nature compels us to discover a meaning for our own lives. That's why we are constantly searching. All the philosophers, Plato, Socrates, everybody, this is what they're searching for, meaning in life. Why are we here? And it's because we're all born with this emptiness in our hearts. So we're there, and then in an instant, we're gone. And our life becomes like smoke. Have you ever tried to grab hold of smoke? You can't do it. And yet this seems to be what all of society is trying to do. They're trying to grasp something that they can't even understand the meaning of. And suddenly, just like that, our lives are over. And from dust, we go back to dust. And the reason there's so much hopelessness in our world and such a void of any hope in our world is because in so many minds and hearts, that's all there is. Hmm. And so Solomon says, vanity of vanities, smoke, it's all smoke. And then in verse three, he says, so what is it gained by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So the word you need to remember in this book is hevel. The phrase you need to remember is under the sun. Now, this is important because what he's talking about is our finite beings underneath the sun that's shining upon us. And for many, many years, exactly 1656, we were not necessarily directly under the sun as human beings. When God created the earth, you'll find it in Genesis chapter two, verse six, he put a mist over the earth, like a greenhouse effect. And it was like the earth was protected from the violent rays of the sun. And so mankind was living for six, seven, 800 years because there's no disease and there's no violent rays of the sun, right? But then in Genesis chapter seven, in the time of Noah, God decided it's time to destroy this earth. Mankind is too sinful. I'm going to start all over. So what does he do? He opened the heavens, the Bible says in Genesis chapter seven, verse 11, and the rain fell. First time rain had ever fallen on the earth. 
It had been in existence for 1,000, 1,600 years, and now rain is falling because he opened the heavens. He took away that protective layering, that mist, that greenhouse effect. And now, since then, mankind, according to Genesis chapter 6, doesn't live more than 120 years. Why? Well, because of disease and because of sin, but also because God took away that protective layering. And now mankind is susceptible to the harmful rays of the sun. So when you hear this phrase, under the sun, it's a Hebraism for what happened after Noah. God opened up, and now we're susceptible. We're vulnerable. We don't live near as long. And so this life under the sun truly is much shorter, and, and it is a vapor because of our susceptibility to the harmful rays of the sun, right? So this phrase, under the sun, is referring to everything that happens in life as mortal, finite beings. It's a life from a totally humanistic viewpoint, void of God or an eternal perspective. He uses the word hevel 39 times in this book. He uses the phrase, under the sun, 28 times in this book. These are important things for you to know, but if you'll read this book knowing what these two things mean, it will give you great understanding. All right, and so what we, de what we discover next is that having all this stuff happening under the sun, this uh, great frustration in the life of Solomon because he, he's trying to figure out why certain things happen to even people who love God. And he gets frustrated. And so he decides to just discover it on his own. Now, keep in mind, he's the wisest person on the planet. He's also the richest person on the planet. God granted him great wisdom. With that, God granted him great riches. He's like a two-time lottery winner. By the way, lottery winners, 70% of them lose their entire fortune within 10 years because they thought the riches would make them happy. And guess what? They didn't. Because with big money comes big problems. And that's what Solomon's discovering. Not only that, he's super wise, he's super rich, so rich that he would make roughly somewhere in an income a little over a half billion dollars in this day's currency according to all the, uh, the talents of gold and all the trade and everything from what I can figure from, from First Kings chapter 10. Do the math on your own if you want to, but it's a lot of money. He's a rich man, richest man on the planet at that time. And so he's rich, he's powerful because he's king, he's good looking because he's the son of David and Bathsheba, two really good-looking people usually make a good-looking son. So imagine the son of, like, David Beckham and Posh. I mean, this is Solomon right here, okay? So there you go. He's got it all. It's all in his fingertips, everything in his hands. He's got hold of the world. And what he doesn't realize is that over the course of his years, because of his sin and because of his failures and because he's been distracted by hundreds and hundreds of wives, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. This man has a thing for women, okay? I don't know if you noticed, but y'all, I have one incredible, amazing wife. I love her. I cannot imagine having even two, let alone 700 and then 300 girls on the side. This dude is busy. He's probably, <laughs> I can't believe he's still rich. <laughs> but, he, but what happened is, is he gets all these women in his life, and you know what, did they, he's grabbing them from all over the place, like bringing them in from, from uh, pagan nations and everything. And what they're doing is they're dragging him down in his belief system. And so he starts building pagan temples in honor of his, of his, of his, of his wives. And so soon down the road, 20, 30 years, suddenly he looks up and he's, 
He's, he's upset God, and God is incredibly frustrated. When you find it right there in 1 Kings chapter 11, because he got distracted, and now he's not just following after the one who gave him all the wisdom and all the riches and all the blessings of his life. No, now he's following after all kinds of things. And he gets to the end of his life, and he realizes that all of it was meaningless, and it's like a chasing after the wind. And so he goes on these three searches, and he's searching for just looking for some kind of meaning and happiness. And the first search he goes on is in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. He starts this search by way of education, all right? He starts trying to figure out, okay, look, if I just learn more, then I'll find fulfillment in my life. And we got a lot of people in the, in the world that feel like that. They feel like education is the end all. But the problem is, in the end, you still come up empty. And that's what happened to him. And you can read it right there in the verses. But the next search he goes on is a hedonistic search, uh, a search for the pleasure of the body. So education didn't fill all the needs. So now let's just try to have some fun. Let's see if pleasure will fulfill my life. I'm going to find meaning in doing what feels good. He's going to call Pitbull and they're going to have a party. And guess what? When the party's over, when he comes off the high, when he sobers up, when he wakes up next to somebody he doesn't even know, he looks around and realizes, well, that was meaningless. I've still got this emptiness in my soul. The song Can't Get No Satisfaction by Rolling Stones comes to mind. So he goes on a third search. He starts searching for fulfillment in accomplishment. He goes on a personal works search, an exploration of the soul, if you will. He's going to find meaning in what he accomplishes. And then in verses 4 through 11 in chapter 2, he just makes this long list of everything he did. He says, I made this, I made that. I built houses, I planted vineyards, I planted um, gardens and parks, I built pools, I, I bought slaves, I even hired singers. I did all this stuff and gathered them for myself, and I became great. And verse 10 says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasures in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Let me give you a little side note, by the way. One thing Satan will do to destroy your life, even when you're striving hard after the Lord, is he will convince you that your secret little sin that nobody knows about is a reward for all your good labor. Verse 11, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was like smoke, like a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he tries everything. He tries all he can learn, all he can experience, all he can accomplish, and he still comes up empty. It reminds me of John Mayer's song, Something's Missing. You ever heard that song? It's an amazing song, but in the, here's the chorus. Something's missing, and I don't know how to fix it. Something's missing, and I don't know what it is. No, I don't know what it is at all. What a hopeless song from a hopeless heart. Hmm. Howard Hughes once said, how much money is enough? And here was his answer, a little more. Really? If you don't hear anything I say, maybe this is what you must hear this morning. Under the sun, the gap between wanting more and having enough never closes. Did you hear me? Under the sun, 
The gap between wanting more and having enough never closes. So he reaches three conclusions, and these are really going to encourage you. Conclusion number one in chapter two. After all this argument, he goes, okay, well, here's my first conclusion. We're all going to die. Isn't that a blessing? You came to church today to be encouraged. There's your word. You're going to die. When you were born, you started dying. <laughs> it's true. In fact, the stats are the same as they've always been. One out of one humans die. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a little funeral service. Then we're going to eat some potato salad, and then we're going to move on. That's how it works. And I know that sounds a little morbid, but it's true. Death is the great equalizer of us all. And here's the next conclusion he reaches. This is really going to bless you. Once you die, someone else is going to get all your stuff. Can't put a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? So when you're dead, you're going to leave it to somebody. Verse 18 in chapter 2, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who'll come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Turns out he was a fool. His name was Rehoboam, and he split the kingdom wide open. You never know. That's what he's saying. I can't believe this. And to him, all of this is vanity and even a great evil. But then he comes to a third conclusion. And like I told you earlier, God just pops up out of nowhere. And here he is, verses 24 and 25. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy good food and drink and to find satisfaction in my work. And then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. Huh. So his third conclusion is that it's all in God's hands. You see, whatever pleasant benefits are experienced in this life, they are a blessing from God to be enjoyed in this life. I look at it like I look at the North Star. For centuries, people looked at the North Star as a focal point for direction. The North Star is always to our north. So if you want to where the North, where the north is, you just got to look towards the north in the sky or look for the North Star, and then you'll know that you're looking north. It's so cool. And I don't know how God did it that way, but it's just how it works. So what's central to our lives is this great contentment that only knowing God can bring. That should be the North Star of your existence right there, to know God and to be found enjoying him. The chief end of men, the Westminster Catechism says, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That should be your North Star, your point of focus. But... A good meal, great friends, having a few nice things, some fun moments with your family, laughter around the dinner table, all these are really good things. And they're like little cluster stars around uh, the great star. It's like lesser lights that are surrounding the greater light, which is, of course, the sole purpose of your life, the North Star, the, the enjoying God forever and serving him. So it's not that fun things are bad. No, Solomon says, enjoy it. It's just that it can't be the end all. There's got to be a focus to your life, and it has to start with God. It's kind of like this when you go to the eye doctor. You know, they have you look at an eye chart, and they, and they, did, and they have you look through all kinds of different lenses to determine what kind of glasses you're going to need in order to get focus back so you can see, right? Well, when we look through the lens of our own wisdom, our own perspective, and our own motive, everything sort of looks blurry. It just kind of looks blurry. We can't even hardly read what we're, what we're trying to read or understand what we're trying to understand. But when we see through the lens of God's perspective, 
that we obtain the right focus or prescription to our lives in light of eternity, oh, that's when everything becomes a little bit more into view and we begin to get a little more focus and begin to understand what life is all about. And we begin to see that it's not about what we do under the sun, but instead what we do in the sun, S-O-N, of God who loved us and gave his life for us. And then he reaches chapter three where he begins to talk about the fact that uh, all of life is cyclical. Everything has, uh, it's up and it's down. It's a time to time, a, a time to live, a time to die, a time to, to mourn, a time to dance, a time to weep, a time to laugh. And he goes through all of these things and what he's doing is he's quoting the birds from 1965. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, the birds quoted him with their famous song, turn, turn, turn. You know, to everything turned, there is a season to. That's what he's saying here. There's a cycle to life. It's the circle of life, if you will. And when he gets to this point, he comes to a conclusion in verse 11 in chapter three that is incredibly important for the reading of Ecclesiastes. He says this, God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. So God has placed this emptiness in our souls and he did it on purpose. So that longing you feel is not for money or for more pleasure. God put that longing in there. It's a longing for God. And he's intentionally trapped us in this dimension of time and space for the sole purpose of your soul's fulfillment. He made you with this hole in your heart so that you would finally discover that he's the only one who can fill it. We're all born with this God-shaped void in our soul and we're tempted to try to fill it with anything. It's like going to the fair and we try all these fried foods and everything and then we finally get to the cotton candy and it's this big on this little tiny thing of cardboard and you take a big old huge chunk of, car of a cotton candy off the cardboard and you throw it in your mouth and just like that, it's like it disintegrates. It's the weirdest thing. I took a bite this big and now it's like this. Just like that. It's like sugar coated air. And we begin to ask ourselves, is that all there is? Is that all there is? Peggy Lee asked that same question in her famous song. Listen to this, just the fourth verse. I know what you must be saying to yourselves. If that's the way she feels about life, then why doesn't she just end it all? Oh no, not me, I'm not ready for that final disappointment. Wow. Because I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you, that when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, is that all there is? Is that all there is? Well, if that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. Well, my friend, that is all there is under the sun. But there are two things that last forever, the soul of mankind and the word of God. You're going to last forever. It's a matter of where your soul will go. So do you know Christ? Do you have an eternal home in heaven? Have you ever asked him in your life to forgive you of your sins, to save you, cleanse you, make you whole? Well, if you haven't, I would suggest you don't leave this broadcast or this room until you do. There was a man named 
Francis Chan. He goes around the world preaching, and he's still out there, and he's a wonderful man, and uh, he's done a lot of great for the kingdom. He gave this illustration several years back. I gave one kind of similar to it when I was doing that message a few months back called The Dash, but he gave this illustration about just a picture of eternity. And I thought I'd share it with you because it really sort of brings this message home for me. Uh, This is obviously just a rope, but imagine this rope just goes forever. Just never, there's no end to it. Well, this is really just a a picture of of your life and mine. Um, Because we're going to last forever. And yet this little part right here, this red part, This is the part where you and I are living on earth, right here. And it's funny to me that all of our society, everybody in the world seems to be really obsessed with this little part right here. So we're gonna work our fingers to the bone. We're gonna do what Proverbs says, wear ourselves out to get rich. We're gonna do everything we can. And here's the really funny part. We're gonna work really, 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 really hard so that we can enjoy this little tiny bit right here while we're retired and have a little money. And so when you look at it in light of eternity, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? So everybody is saying, hey, man, do this here. Live for this. You only get one life. This is your one shot. Do this. Do that. Do this. Do this. Experience all you can. This is all you got. And God's saying, no, wait, wait, wait. Look. Look. There's so much more. And when you live your life with this mindset and it's all over, what's left but eternity in hell? Oh, but folks, when you live your life for Christ and you surrender your heart to God, you have the rest of this to look forward to. This is the short life. This is the real one. And if you don't have hope here, you won't have hope here. So it's incredibly crucial what you do with this life in order to affect what happens in this life. Maybe I could put it the way C.S. Lewis puts it. C.S. Lewis said this, if you aim at heaven, (laughs) you get earth thrown in. If you aim at earth, you end up with neither. So where are you this morning? In light of eternity, where's your soul? What's the mindset in your daily living? Do you have an eternal mindset or are you just living for now? Do you look at your life as being just a real big party and then when it's over, it's done with and that's it? Or have you ever considered the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for your life? The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 13, if you will seek me, you will find me. If you will seek me with all of your heart. What God is trying to say to you and me this morning, folks, open your eyes and search after me. And in that searching, it will inevitably lead you to a hill called Mount Calvary where Jesus opened his arms wide and he suffered and bled and died for you. And in the process of doing that, he secured your eternity forever. So my words of advice to you would be to follow what Solomon says at the conclusion of his book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12. Here's his conclusion. You ready? Chapter 12, verse 13. So simple. So here's the final words. 
All has been heard. This is the final statement. Fear God and obey his commandments. You want the recipe for the meaning of life? Start right there. For this is the whole duty of man. Paul put it this way. Then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we got a whole lot of people in the land of the living that are making their way towards the land of the dying. Oh, but folks, when you know God, then you are now in the land of the dying, making your way towards the land of the living. So, can I give you one more song lyric that I think kind of ties it all together since we find our eternal hope in Christ and Christ alone? I stand amazed in your presence, in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And I wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. (laughs) He took my sins and he took my sorrows and he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and he suffered and died alone. So how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Do you know this Savior? If you don't, don't leave this room still hopeless, still looking for meaning. Your life is not going to last real long. And you don't know what tomorrow holds. So I would suggest don't leave this room until you know at least where your eternity lies. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask Colby, if you would, to just jump into that next verse. Because this is a great song to end our service with. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. But our pastors are here at the front. And if you need to come, surrender your heart to him. Come down. Take us by the hand. But maybe you just want to come and pray and say, Lord, you know what? I've been searching after and striving after all the wrong stuff. Let me follow after you first and first and foremost. And then let's see where God takes you in your life. All right? Come on, Kobe. Let's do that next verse. And let's sing it together, everybody. Summed in glory, his face I at last shall
remind you as we exit to go out the sides, but as you go, I want to encourage you this week to have an eternal mindset in every conversation, in all your relationships. Just know that what you say and what you do has an eternal impact on the lives of the people you're around, including your own. So God bless you. Have a great day and enjoy Him forever. All right. I want to thank you for joining with us today. If you've never come to the place of recognition of being a sinner and needing a Savior, you can do so right now. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life. Just ask Him to save you today. Now, if you'd like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, we'd love to chat with you about that information. I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen. It's pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Jesus Christ in your life. If you'd also like to help contribute to our ministries, we take this message of the gospel around the world. Go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with the amazing message of God's love. Help us let people know that God loves them, that Christ died for them, and that we can find hope in Jesus.